I want to speak to you about something that, that we all have, but we don't want. Conflict. We all have conflict. And um, I've got conflict. Um, if I'm traveling to work in the mornings and the, and the power's out because ESCOM is not doing what it's supposed to do and the lights are out, and people are not stopping at the intersections as they should be, and that places my life and my family's lives and everything at risk that creates conflict in me. And um, I go to work and everything doesn't work the way it should be, and there's conflict. And sometimes I look at my bank account and I experience a bit of conflict because uh, I want to do stuff and there's not always money to do this stuff that I want to. And Ilda and I are I'm married, we've been married for, for almost 18 years. We've got, we've got conflict. We've got conflict in our, in our marriage. Those of you that are married, you'll understand that. It's not great to have conflict in a marriage. One of the things that Ilza and I have conflict about in our marriage is how we deal with conflict. <laughs> Outside of our marriage, Ilza avoids conflict. I don't. Outside of our marriage, I look for conflict. I'm happy with conflict. I'm I, I can deal with conflict, um, but inside of our marriage, it's the opposite. Inside of our marriage, Ilza is not afraid of conflict. <laughs> I avoid it. I'm much better at it. She disagrees, but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but we all have conflict. If, if I start talking about conflict, and as we come here and we come in, in, in to, to, to serve God and to worship Him, it is often difficult to come here to do what we know we come to do here, to worship God, to quiet ourselves, to hear what He wants to say, because of all the conflict that's going on in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our minds, however way you experience it. If I start talking about conflict in marriage, those of you that are married will be aware of the things that cause conflict between you and your spouse if you're in a relationship. But it goes wider than that. We've got conflicts outside of our marriages with our family, with our children. If Yana makes a joke about the holidays and some people being happy about it, and some, the reason why we laugh and think it gets funny is because it's true is that when our kids are at home and we spend all this time with us and they're not listening to us and they're not doing what they're supposed to do and they're not when to do what we do, it's because it causes conflict between us and them. We've got conflict with our parents. We've got conflict with our friends. We've got conflict with our bosses, with the colleagues, with people that we, that we work with. We've got conflict with people that we don't even know in the streets and in the shopping malls. We've got conflict in our hearts and our minds with the politicians that govern us, the country that we live in, with the problems that it has, our world and our lives are filled with conflict. And the question is, what do we do with this? Because it does not look like it's going to go away anytime soon. And some of us, as much as I sort of joke about it to a certain extent, if I talk about these things, the things that are right in the forefront of our minds are really huge things in our lives that really affect the way that we live, the way that we feel, 
the way that we make our decisions, the way that we choose our futures and how we act towards people around us. It's not something to be made light of. It is real, real issues that deeply affects us and everyone around us and the lives that we, that we live. And even as I say it and I talk about these things, there will be some things that really jump out in your heart, in your mind, the things that really, really bother you. And it's not something that's new. It's something that has existed from that first moment when God decided to create man, to create us in love and to love us and out of a desire to have relationship with us, but we decided to push him away and to reject him and to cause conflict between us and them. It's something that entered our world and remained part of our world and will probably remain part of our world for a very long time. And we're busy with a series where we, we're traveling through the book of Mark over the course of next week, and the series is called Upside Down Kingdom. And Mark really tells the story of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus, which is this upside-down kingdom that Rudo explained to us last week. It is an unexpected kingdom. It is a kingdom that was unexpected at the time, and it is a kingdom that even as we start to experience it and hear about it and explore what it is, it's unexpected to us because it is so different to this world that we live in and the decisions that we make for ourselves and the decisions that we take and the environment that we see, find ourselves in. And Rudo explained about the fact that when Jesus came into this world, people, the Jews, were waiting. They had been waiting. God had been quiet for almost 500 years. And there was this, this story that they know of. There were these prophecies that they knew about, about this messianic king, the savior king that was going to come. But the idea of who he was and what he was going to do became so twisted over time. And they thought he was going to be this worldly king like King David that was going to save them from the oppression of the people that were governing them and that were ruling over them. But from the moment that he stepped into this world, he immediately made it so clear that he is different. And Mark tells us about the good news of who this king is. But what is so interesting about the book, and Rudo explained last week, is that Mark is not really, you know, explaining a lot to us. He's not really getting into the intimacy of who Jesus was or the detail of who he was as a person and explaining to us what, he thought was, what his thoughts were about Jesus. In fact, we don't have any real evidence that Mark even traveled with Jesus or that he was around Jesus at the time that Jesus lived. But the best we know is, is that Mark probably got his accounts of the life of Jesus from Peter and that he was a, a scribe for Peter, and he also saved, served some time with Paul um, in ministry and with, with Barnabas in ministry. And if we say that, that he got the eyewitness accounts of what happened in Jesus' life from Peter, I really believe him. Because if you look at the way that the book was written, the pace at which, which it is written, and how it just comes from the one scene to the next scene, it's this impact, action-packed, it's like a movie that just leaves you leaves you breathless at the end of the day because it's just so filled with information. And if you read the book and you know a little bit about how Peter lived his life, 
And you see in the other Gospels sort of how he just rushed into everything and was, did very irrational things and had very irrational thoughts and you know, wasn't always you know, just carefully thinking about things. And you read the book of Mark, you can see and believe that it's probably so that it was Peter's account of, of Jesus' life because of this fast pace. But it's something else that's very interesting is, is that Mark only once tells us what he thought about Jesus. Right in the beginning of Mark, in Mark 1, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the only time that Mark tells us who he thought Jesus was. And then he tells us all these things that Jesus did. Fast-paced, the one thing after the other. And you've got all these people that are encountering Jesus, who has conflict with Jesus, and his thoughts and the way that he does things, creates conflicts in people's minds, and you can hear in the words that they speak. And the constant thing that is coming out is, who is this? And Mark, except for the first verse, he doesn't tell us who he believes Jesus was. And the silly thing about it, if you read it, is nobody in the, the book for 15 chapters really figures out who this Jesus was. It takes a Roman soldier at the end of the, the life of Jesus when Jesus cries out on the cross and he dies. It takes a Roman soldier to have the revelation say he truly was the Son of God. But Mark tells us all these stories and things that Jesus did so that you and I can think about it and consider for ourselves who is this unexpected king. Who is this man that came into our world and walked amongst us and became part of our problems and created conflict and resolved some of our conflicts and dealt with some of the conflicts that he encountered? And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to continue seeing what Jesus did. And we're going to look at four situations of conflict. We're going to read from chapter 1 verse 21 to 2 verse 12. So forgive me, it's, it's quite a, a, a long part. Well, unusually for what we, the amount that we normally read in church, but it's really important that we look at it. And where we're picking up the story is that Jesus has come into this world, his ministry has started, he's been baptized, he was taken out of the wilderness for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil, he was then going to the people and he started calling his disciples around him as he starts his ministry and he's going throughout the ancient Near East and he is telling people stories and he's doing things in their lives and that's where we start mark 1 i'm going to start reading from verse 21 so follow with me and they went into capernaum and immediately on the sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes and immediately there was in this synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. 
And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came, and he took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to him, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing, more, nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is living and that it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that it cuts deep, Father, and divides, Father, between our soul and our spirits and even between bone and marrow, Father. And thank you that it reveals our deepest thoughts, Father, and discerns in our lives. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, as we come to you this morning, Father, with some of the, the
this things, these things that remain, as we come to you with these things that often remain unsaid in our lives, those deep conflicts that we have, Father, the things that we struggle to deal with, Father, the things that affect the way that we see you, live with you, how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to others. Will you come and reveal yourself to us, King of Kings, Jesus, Lord over all, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So what have, what have we got here? You've, you've got this Jesus starting his ministry and starting to teach people things about this kingdom that he has been talking about and that he's going to continue talking about, this upside-down kingdom. And we've got four little stories within this, this part that we read, and these four stories deals with four different kinds of conflict. And the effect that it has on people, and Jesus' response to it. And as we're going to walk through them, your own mind is going to continue going to your own conflicts, the things that, because that is the power of the Word of God to bring to the surface those things that God wants to deal with in our lives, right? And it's not always pleasant, and it's not always something that we want to happen, because just like in Eels and I in our marriage, I sometimes just want to avoid the, the conflict. And that's how we sometimes are in our relationship with God. We'd rather not deal with the conflict, but God wants to come, let things come to the surface. So what have we got first? We've got this Jesus coming into a synagogue, and he starts preaching. And it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. So you've got this man in a synagogue amongst people who come to Jesus. And he's got a demon inside of him. That is what it refers to if it says an unclean spirit. And this whole idea of a demon is scary to some of us. Some of us, and perhaps if you're visiting us this morning, you say, well, you know, I don't believe in, in those things like demons and so on. And the question is, well, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in this man who came to earth, walked amongst us, and he died, and then on the third day he rose again, is it really that difficult to believe when these eyewitnesses to these events tell us that there, was this, there were people and they had demons inside of them. In fact, it has happened in this church that we have had people that had demons inside of them. And so it is something that is real. And if we're talking about demons and the effect that demons has in our lives, it is important to know the reality of the demonic, but it is also important to understand a bit about the demonic. And people can become really obsessive about the demonic world and so on, and it's not really necessary, because as we see that, you know, it is something that is important with Jesus, and that he deals with it, and he deals with it very effectively, but he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about it or teaching about it, but it is real. 
And if we're talking about the effect that the demonic has, the demonic does not only, we're not only talking about demons living inside of people or living inside of us and controlling us, but also about the fact that there is something like demonic oppression. Where the demonic world, where the spiritual world that we're all part of, this is not something that there's the separation between the spiritual world and the world that we live in. God created one world, and we like to compartmentalize it and say, well, that's the spiritual world, and this is the real world, but the real world is inside of the spiritual world, and the spiritual things and the demonic and things like the angels are all part of the world that we live in. And so it does happen that even as a believer, you can be oppressed by demons. They can have an effect on your lives in so many different ways. But we see something very interesting in this conflict that arises when this demon starts talking. Because you would think that because it's a demon and he is evil... He's going to lie. He's going to want to say untruthful things about Jesus, but he doesn't. What does he do? He says, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. Why does he do that? It is because it gives authority to the demon. It gives authority to who he is because of what he knows. So the people that are sitting there in the synagogue says, oh, this, th there's something there. Because he knows something about this man. He knows the truth about him. That means that we need to listen to it. And let me tell you that the demonic in your life will often present itself in the same way. That the demons, that when it comes and whispers things in your ears, and when Satan comes and tells you stuff about yourself, it will often be the truth. Because if he says, they say something that is truthful about you, you will believe it. You believe that there is some authority behind this voice. And so demons and the part of the enemy's plan, and that really causes conflict in our lives, is that there's often truth to it. So Etienne, you remember when you grew up there in Middleburg, you remember those things that you did with some of those friends of ours, and immediately I'm paying attention because there's truth in that. But then what does the demon do? He says, he says, have you come to destroy us? So what is he doing? He's planting a thought in the minds of the people that are listening to us. He's creating doubt, and he does the same in your life and in my life where the enemy comes and he says something truthful to you, but then he says, do you really think that you are worthy? Do you really think that you deserve this? Do you really think that you can tell your friend how they should live their life? Because look, at who, look who you are. And that is how the torment starts in our lives. And some of you sitting here, and it's something that we often find in church, that people really experience this torment, but because of this torment and because of the secrecy of the thoughts and the things that are going on, they don't want to talk about it, especially not in church. And I want to say it this morning, that so many of us struggle with this, and it is something that Jesus wants to talk 
about. And it's something that Jesus wants us to talk about. And it's something that Jesus wants you to talk to us and wants us to talk to with each other because he wants to deal with it. He wants to bring it out into the open and the light. And Jesus, he doesn't go into this epic fight, this battle, this Lord of the Rings scene with this demon, you know, where he's battling it for days and weeks and months and years and it just goes on. on. He just says, shh, go. End of the story. Be quiet. Go. Because the king that we serve, the Lord that we serve, this Jesus that became part of our conflict is not intimidated by demons. It's the least of his problems. He deals with it. He's dealt with it. And if that's something that you experience in your life, those voices that you know, Jesus wants to deal with it, and he can, and he wants to. Then goes on, and it says, And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. It's this beautiful story. I mean, I can already imagine it. You've got Peter and Andrew and everybody. They've now been to the synagogue. Jesus is teaching with authority. He's cast out a demon. He says, I want to come to your house. Peter, of course, yes. Come, Jesus. Let's go to my house. But what does Jesus encounter there? He encounters Peter's mother-in-law, and she's severely ill. And the Bible doesn't tell us how long she's been ill for. It doesn't tell us exactly. It just tells us that he's, she's ill with fever. But clearly there's a hopelessness to this situation, very much like the hopelessness that you may be faced with this morning because of illness in your own life or in the life of somebody that you know. And Jesus... Being the king who he is, he immediately heals her. And he demonstrates that not over is he king over the conflict that is caused by the difficulties that are caused by this illness in her life and the house that she is living in and what it is causing in people's lives. But he's king over every illness. And he can remove the illness and its causes and in that you can remove the cause of the conflict caused by illness and this morning if you've been struggling for a long time with illness i've got a wife that's been struggling with illness for as long basically as she can remember and we keep believing god that he's going to, and we don't always understand why it doesn't happen the bible doesn't tell us how long peter's mother-in-law how long she was ill for but what it tells us is, is that jesus has the authority and that he is king over this conflict and over illness. And if that is your struggle, Jesus can heal you too. The amazing thing is, is that he heals her. And what is her immediate reaction to that? She starts serving them. See, that is the greatest response that we can have because of what Jesus does for us, is to serve him. And sometimes in our darkest times and battles with illness and things and the conflicts in our lives, it's not necessary to get stuck in that situation and what it is causing in our life, but to think back what God and what Jesus has done for us, what He has set us free from, what He has helped us with. And in response to that, serve Him and live out our calling in Him. 
and demonstrate the fact that he is king over our lives and the conflict in our lives. And he goes, goes on then and it says, verse 14, And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, and he touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now there's something that, that, that we need to understand when we read the story about the leper, and we have to understand it from the perspective of somebody that would read this 2,000 years ago. Because we can easily misunderstand it if we don't understand the world that this leper was living in. You see, leprosy is an illness that's still around. It's an illness that's caused by a bacterial infection. It's just that it's, it's easy to heal it today. But back then it wasn't. People who got leprosy lived with it for the rest of their lives. It became a debilitating illness. It started with sores covering their whole body. They often lost their fingers or some of their limbs, their eyesight, their mind started going backwards. It was an evil illness in the sense that it did not kill you quickly, but it severely affected your life. But you know what the worst thing about this illness was? That we have to understand, if we want to understand what Jesus did in this situation, the conflict that this young man was faced with. You see, the illness itself was one thing, but the fact is, is that the illness caused this person to be considered to be unclean, not holy. And these people were cast out. And often there were these communities that were far away from the normal civilization where they had, could live with each other and there was a certain amount of worship that they could do, but they were cast out. And even if they had to walk and be close to other people, they had to make a sound with a bell or something that they clanged. And they had to walk amongst people and they had to say, unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. So that people knew that they had leprosy and that they would stay away from them. So can you imagine the conflict in this person's life, the loneliness being cast out from society like that? It is something terrible and it is something that was caused by this illness. But it is something that we do today even whilst people don't have leprosy. It's something that we do to people because they are different to us, because they've got different views to us, because they've got different skin colors to us, because they've got a different culture to us, because they have a different political affiliation to us, because they have different values in their homes, because they eat differently because they live differently, kids do it, they do it on social media, they do it because other kids aren't popular enough or aren't cool enough or don't have what they have, we all do it. And what we do is in the society that we live in and what causes so much conflict in our own lives and the lives of others is that we push people away from us, they, we segregate them, we, we, we make them unpopular popular in the minds of the people that are living around us. We have the same 
thoughts over it. And what we're effectively doing is we're creating conflict in people's lives, just like the conflict that this young man was experiencing. You see, and what he does is, is that he comes to Jesus and he doesn't say to Jesus, having seen how Jesus casts out a demon and having seen that Jesus was healing people. He doesn't come to Jesus and say to Jesus, Jesus, I've got leprosy, heal to me. What does he say? He says, Jesus, make me clean. Because what he's saying is, I don't only want to be healed, I want to be clean so that I can be accepted, so that I can be part of community, so that this conflict in my life can be taken away. And as I talk about this, and I talk about the things that we do to people, you may even be sitting down, there may be conflict in your life because of what people have done to you, because of the fact that they have pushed you out. And what Jesus wants to do is, He wants to take away that conflict. He wants to make us clean. And He doesn't want to change us so that we like other people, but He's cleaning us so that we become holy and we become more like Him and as we become more like Him, He removes the conflict that is, exists between us and He brings us into a community of spiritual family, part of a kingdom, an upside-down kingdom where things are different. And He wants to do that for every one of us, but He also wants to change us so that we stop doing it to other people. Then it says in chapter 2, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiving. And again, we see this incredibly situa uh, interesting situation where you've got this, can you imagine what it's like? You've got this house full of people. Jesus is there, he's teaching them. There comes these four friends and they bring their friend that's, that's paralyzed. And just as a side note, we often talk about this in church. To ask the question, who are the four people, who are the people in your life that's carrying you when it's really tough? Who are the people that will carry you that even when you don't want anything to do with Jesus and with church and things in your life are going so bad and the conflict in your life, who are the people that will continue bring you back to Jesus? Do you have them? If you don't, find them. Come speak to us about that. So we've got this situation where these friends are so full of faith and obviously so affected by the conflict that he has been experiencing through his paralysis that they dig a hole, make a hole in a roof and they lay him before the feet of Jesus. And then there's this incredibly interesting thing that happens. And Jesus says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. And can you imagine how many people must have been affronted by that? Can you imagine the situation if you come here and you bring me a severely ill person and you think that I'm able to lay hands on him and that he will be healed? If you bring him to a doctor who's got the medicine that can heal him and what is said about him is your sins are forgiven. 
And you can immediately see the scribes, the learned people of the day, how offended they are because they say it is only God that can forgive sins. And this is blasphemy because he is pretending to be God. And ironically, or perhaps not ironically, that is the exact thing that they pinned on him at the end when they sentenced him to die on the cross. Is the fact that he had said that he could forgive sins. And by that, he committed the crime or the sin of saying he was like God, which he couldn't do. But what is even more interesting about it is is Jesus' response to it. Because he says the following, he says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. We often misunderstand it if we read it because we, we look at the words. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. And we think, okay, well, which one is easier to say? Which one has got less words? But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. What Jesus is saying to them, you have seen what I've done. You have seen me cast out demons. You have seen me heal a sick person. You have seen me make a paralyzed person walk and to be clean. You've seen me do all of that. And what I want to tell you is it is easier for me to do that than to forgive sins. What Jesus is saying is is the greatest conflict that we have, the most difficult conflict that we have, the greatest miracle that you can and I can experience is not when He casts out demons or when He heals you when you are sick or when He makes you clean because you are sick, but to forgive the fact that you are sinful in your nature. That's the greatest miracle that He can do and that's the greatest thing that He can do to remove the conflict from our lives. But we don't want that. What we want is to say, no, 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 Jesus, just, just, just make me healthy. That's, that's okay. That's all I want. Or just sort out this person in my life. Just change him. Just change her. Or, no, Jesus, that's not what I want. If you could just make my bank account healthy or sort out my boss or my colleague or my father or my child, that would be okay. And God, Jesus says, yes, but something else that I need to talk to you about that takes a greater miracle than any of that. You see, the greatest conflict in our lives, if it's in our own hearts and in our minds and the lives with others and the relationship that we have with God, it's not the things that makes us sick or the fights we have or our shortcomings or the things that we need in this world. But it's those things that are deep inside of us that God wants to bring to the surface and say, I want to deal with that. Can I tell you about how I dealt with that? Can I show you how I can deal with it? Can I show you how I can take the conflict out of your life and improve your own life and so that you can bear fruit and so that you can start fixing things that are wrong around you and the relationships that you have? God, allow me to deal with it. You see, we can't make these things cheap. 
Jesus has demonstrated that he is king over our conflict, that this upside-down kingdom that he invites us to be part of is a kingdom where though we are confronted by conflict, he can and he wants to deal with it. And you know why he can and he wants to deal with it? Because in the end of the day, he succumbed to each one of those conflicts that he took away in those people. You see, if you think about the, the... demonic oppression that that young man experienced. In the end of the day, Jesus had to succumb to do his father's will. And because you and I really needed it, is that he had to succumb to the plans of Satan and the demonic world and the spiritual world that used people and used his friends and used the the one to you to put him up and hang him on a cross. Do you realize that for him to demonstrate that he is king over our conflict, that that same illness, that same fever, and every other illness, Jesus had to experience that as he was whipped, as he was, as he was put up on a cross, as nails were put through his hands and through his feet. He had to experience that so that he can deal with our conflict today. Do you know that that curse of the leopard man, the fact that he was pushed away from society, the fact that he had to be alone, do you know that when Jesus hung on the cross, that you know that in Jesus' greatest moment of need, he stood alone, that there was nobody, there was nobody that stood with him, that every single person, whether they hated him, whether they loved him, rejected him, and left him alone, hanging on a cross. And you know that he had to take, through all of that, he had to take the punishment for your sins and my sins, though he didn't sin himself. And that is why, not because he held on to the fact that he was God, not because he was powerful and able to heal people and make them clean and to save them. That's not what made him king over our conflict. The fact that he was willing to subject himself to it for our sake. What's the conflict in your life? And will you allow Jesus to be king over the conflict? I want to end off with, with a final story from the Bible. As I, as I read the story of this, this man with the leprosy, I was reminded of a, of a beautiful part in the Bible that's almost hidden away that we, we never want to, to read. In the, in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 14, Moses is laying down these laws, and it's part of the reason why we don't want to read it, because it's like 601, 602, 603, all these laws, 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 and we don't really want to go there. There's this interesting thing where Moses tells the people, what do you do with a man that has leprosy? Because if he has leprosy, not only is he ill from the leprosy, but as I said earlier, he is unholy, he is unclean. He cannot come near to God because God is holy. And if we become part of God's kingdom, he makes us holy. He makes us completely holy in our spirit and we, 
washed clean, but then he also starts to deal with the things in our lives. And there's this law, and it says, well, what do you do to make this leper clean? And what God tells Moses, and what Moses tells the people, is so what you have to do is you have to take two clean birds, and you take an earthenware vessel with water in, and you take the one bird with a branch and hyssop and a scarlet thread, and you take that first bird, and you slaughter it over that water, over that clean water. And then what you do is you take that water and blood mixture and you sprinkle that on the leper. And that then makes him clean. But then there's this amazing thing that the Bible tells us. He says, well, what about this other bird? Take that bird and you put it in that water-blood mixture. And what do you do then? You let it go. You let it go free. You see, two birds, but only one of them gets to go free. Who here wants to be free? See, for us to be free, for you to be the bird that is set free, the other bird had to die. Jesus had to die. And that's why this morning you can be free from whatever it is that's causing conflict in your life. You can be free because Jesus took all of that on him. Mm-hmm.